Hi. Close your eyes. It's time to discover what starting and growing your own business feels like. Whether your business is bed sheets or skincare or jewelry, Shopify's with you every step of the way. Hello. Now, open your eyes. Feel ready to start and grow your business with Shopify. You'll get the tools you need to nurture your growing business and feel the same satisfaction as listening to this ad. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Simply start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com/free22. shopify.com/free22. Welcome to the History of Skipton with me, Ian Lockwood, author of The History of Skipton. If you want to know more about the book, go to www.historyofskipton.co.uk or search for the book on a reputable bookshop's website, Waterstones perhaps, or if you really must, Amazon. This, the 24th episode in the series, is going to look at Skipton's markets. You'll probably read on any brief potted history of the town that today's Skipton Market dates from the time when King John granted the town a market charter. Hmm, that's partly true, but, well, we'll come to that. Every summer, dozens of coaches journey to Skipton to disgorge several hundred trippers, mainly elderly, it has to be said, in the town. The principal attraction is the town's market, dominating and determining the life of the town on the four days on which it operates. Skipton Market rules the town by its sheer physical presence on the high street. It can cause traffic chaos, force pedestrians to walk along the road as they seek to find a gap between the stalls, and promote dismayed letters to the local press and websites. But it also gives the town character, puts it on the map and crucially, provides an economic stimulus. A market has long been a key part of Skipton's life, but its role has changed hugely down the years. And while some talk of its ancient rights, in fact, the rules of governing the market are remarkably obscure. Over the years, Skiptonians have developed a habit of seeking a practical compromise. As I shall show, the path of least resistance has been far more rewarding than the occasional foray to the courts to sort out just who can do what. Now, what about those medieval rights that some market traders quote? Well, back in 1204, King John granted Baldwin de Bethune, Earl of Albemarle and Lord of the Manor of Skipton, the right to hold a weekly market held on a Saturday, plus two extra fairs each year. There is a clear distinction between a market, a regular occurrence, 
and a fair held on special occasions such as feast days. This was the state of affairs until matters were further clarified in 1597 when George Clifford, Earl of Cumberland, obtained another charter, this time from Queen Elizabeth. This read, Since our beloved subjects, dwelling in the town of Skipton in Craven, have besought us humbly that we should deign to grant them a fair in the town of Skipton on Tuesday every second week between Easter and Christmas, and since we are informed that the said fairs are in no wise hurtful to the other neighbouring fairs, but are very useful to those living within 40 miles near the aforesaid town for the buying, selling and exhibition of horses, cows, bullocks and sheep, etc. Know ye, therefore, that we have given leave for them to have and to hold the said fair. So we can see that John's charter was for a Saturday market. And Queen Elizabeth added a fair on every second Tuesday between Easter and Christmas. The Earl, as Lord of the Manor of Skipton, and his successors were given the right to extract tolls from those selling at the market. The previous author of A Comprehensive History of the Town, W.H. Dawson, notes that in 1702, the Earl of Thanet, the then Lord of the Manor, sold the right to collect tolls for the next 11 years to Thomas Chamberlain of Skipton for £18. In other words, the Lord secured income without the hassle of organising the collection of the market fees. Chamberlain might expect to receive about £10 a year for his investment. However, as time moved on, and farmers and traders sought to maximise their income from the market. The rigidity of a Saturday market, selling corn, butter, meat, vegetables, and whatever produce might be in demand, and a fortnightly Tuesday livestock fair, became increasingly fluid. And by the early 19th century, 200 years after that Elizabethan charter, the Tuesday livestock market held every two weeks between Easter and Christmas had somehow morphed into a weekly Monday market. The body nominally in charge of running this market was the Court Leet, which met in the old town hall on Sheep Street twice a year. It did take its duties seriously, occasionally finding traders who sold substandard goods or used faulty weights. Thus, in 1728, it recorded that traders were trying to increase their profit by selling outside the market area in order to escape the tolls. The court leet records read, Diverse persons who bring corn, shilling and other grain to the market of Skipton do so clandestinely sell the same in houses, shops, back streets, barns or other houses or places and not in the open street or market, as has hitherto been used, to the great detriment of the lord of the manor in tolling and receiving his just and accustomed tolls and dues. 
Other transgressions noted in the courtly records in the 18th century were selling before the opening bell, presumably because this gave an unfair advantage and also threatened the orderly conduct of the market. It was not just fruit and vegetables which were on sale at the Saturday market. An advert in the Leeds Mercury of 1793 was placed by Thomas Whittam, who claimed that he had sold his wife publicly at the Market Cross, Skipton, to George Scott Cooper, and therefore renounced her debts. The illegality of this sale obviously suggests either an exasperated husband with a spendthrift wife and a sense of humour, or a husband cuckolded, formally washing his hands of his wife after coming to an informal agreement with her lover. We don't know, sadly. The court lead was anxious to ensure that the stall set up for either the Saturday produce or the Tuesday livestock market did not become more permanent, a trend which has remained constant down the centuries. For example, in May 1803, the court recorded that James Thomas and Thomas Pearson have occasioned a very great nuisance by permitting their respective meat stalls to remain standing in the street all night. Two years later, in 1805, the court found that several butchers have made a common practice of leaving their stalls in the streets of Skipton to the great annoyance of the public and fixed a heavy fine of one guinea for all future offences. Any offence was likely to receive widespread publicity. The Leeds Intelligencer of October the 13th, 1800, featured a public notice in which Robert Whittam of Beamsley apologises for the crime of regrading potatoes in Skipton Market, acknowledging the enormity of the offence at all times, but more especially during the present distressing scarcity. Now, it, it seems highly unlikely that this advert was placed at his own volition, and so was perhaps a part of his sentence. The same paper, on May the 18th, 1801, published a notice. The following persons are convicted of having false weights or unequal balances in their possession. Skipton, Joshua Lockwood, shopkeeper. Martha Moorhouse, grocer. James Horsfield, shopkeeper. I trust that Joshua Lockwood is no relation. This market took place at the top end of the town, with a market cross situated halfway down the high street. The cross was built entirely of stone, with a flight of steps leading to a square open tower with a bell on top. The bell was rung to mark the start of market. Stocks at the base punished wrongdoers who sat on the lowest steps. But as Skipton expanded, a new street was constructed. We now call it Otley Street. This required the demolition, not just of three houses, but also the Market Cross itself. It was pulled down in 1843. The stonework went to the castle, and some of it is to be found in the pavement under the castle gateway. Rowley records that there was an understanding that the castle owners who provided land for the new street, would provide a substitute market cross. But clearly, this was quietly dropped.
the livestock market was also thriving. Although at some point it had moved from the Tuesdays, enshrined in the Elizabethan Charter, to Mondays. Figures taken from the Leeds papers show the extent of the trade. Between 300 and 500 cattle and 4,000 and 5,000 sheep changed hands at each of the markets during the first decade of the 19th century. Conditions at the livestock trading were not good. In June 1820, a notice appeared in the Leeds Mercury giving notice to dealers in calves. Dealers have long been guilty of the most alarming cruelty to dumb animals, and particularly so in the town of Skipton, by leaving some tied by the legs in the open street, and the mode of packing them in carts in a matter hostile to the feelings of humanity. The notice threatened dealers with prosecution, and it had been placed by John Merriweather, an auctioneer in Skipton. He was true to his word. As a year later, in May 1821, the Leeds Mercury reported that a calf dealer was convicted on complaint of John Merriweather of cruelty to animals in conveying them from Skipton to Otley Market. By the Victorian era, the livestock fair was big business. It had spilled out beyond the High Street onto Swadford Street, Mill Bridge and Water Street. One travel writer visited Skipton and stated, The show of cattle was inferior perhaps only to the show at Smithfield. The sums of money which changed hands were enormous. The cattle are not cooped up hugger-mugger in by lanes and alleys, but have open spaces and fair play. However, the takeover of Skipton's High Street by hordes of rough agricultural labourers was to become a source of aggravation to many residents. The vicar had a pathway of stone slabs built from the gates of Holy Trinity to his residence, which was situated next to the modern town hall. The point of this was that he did not have to wade with his long robes through the cattle muck. These steps can still be seen if you follow them from the town hall and they head directly to the church gates before they disappear under the modern road surface. Workmen known as scavengers, were paid a fee to clean up the mess, which they then sold on to farmers as manure. As the 19th century grew older, so the complaints about the cattle market grew more strident. Take, for example, the Craven Pioneer of May, the, of May 1896. The condition of the main thoroughfares was perhaps never more abominable than last Monday night after the cattle and their drovers had done their work. Not only were the appearances and stench of the roads obnoxious in the extreme, but in some parts heaps of dung had been left unremoved by the scavengers, so that ladies, who were under the necessity of passing through the town, had to trail their dresses through unutterable filth, as well as run the gauntlet of gangs of unsavoury men, not a few of whom were drunk. Skiptonians, who are used to this sort of thing, have doubtless come to regard the presence of a cattle fair in the street as quite in accordance with the fitness of things. But to newcomers, it is a pestilential nuisance. How long have the inhabitants to honour to tolerate the time-honoured scandal? 
To all intents and purposes, the streets are closed to a large part of the community one whole day in the week. The existence of the fair is demoralising upon every one of the senses. It is dangerous to health, and the medical officers condemn it year after year, while the sickness and mortality caused by a constant succession of fever epidemics cry out largely against it. Has the atrocity to go on forever? Cannot the urban council pluck up the courage and give serious attention to a matter so important to the higher interests of the town? Strong stuff. The influx of rough cattle dealers into the town was a constant source of friction. In 1875, an Irish cattle dealer called O'Hanahan was drunk and lashed out with a stick on several who refused to buy from him. Eventually, moving his cattle about, he drove one into the plate glass window of J and W Hogg's shop. When one of the Hogg men came out to demand payment, he was whipped by O'Hanahan. With satisfaction, though, the paper continued that the police were called and the Irishman was taken into custody, only to be released when he had handed over 50 shillings, that's £2.50, to pay for his actions. The fact that he was able to pay such a relatively large sum for those days indicates the lucrative nature of the dealing. These reports of conflict between townsfolk and livestock traders were by no means uncommon. Skiptonians looked down with disgust on the rough cattle traders and with downright hostility on Irish dealers. Skipton's MP, a member of the Duke of Devonshire's family, Lord Frederick Cavendish, was assassinated in Dublin by Irish nationalists in 1882 and the country was bitterly divided over plans to give the Irish devolved government. Arguments, and the choice language went with it, were commonplace. In June 1886, there was a mass brawl between the cattle dealers and local folk. An argument over payment sparked the conflict, which was exacerbated by the anti-Irish feeling. The Victorian era saw the demise of the courtleet, whose powers of ensuring the sanitary condition of the town had fallen into the hands of the newly established Board of Health, which can be looked upon as the Council of the Day. This had been set up in 1858, as we've heard in earlier podcasts, following a sanitary inquiry into the health of the town. That inquiry had been told that a market was held every Saturday for vegetables, meat, grain and other wares and merchandise, and there was also a fortnightly cattle market. Well, in theory, but as we have seen, in practice it had become every Monday. The market toll was two pennies per stall and one penny per handcart, which went to the lord of the manor. But Rowley points out that after 1857 these sums were not collected. It's simply not being worth the hassle and expense of enforcing the payment of such small sums. By the mid-Victorian era, the practice was growing of shops on the high street seeking to expand their business by putting up stalls in front of their buildings. 
as few objected, and even fewer were prepared to do anything about it. So the stalls multiplied. We see here the beginning of the modern market, developing from its historic rights. The new Skipton Board of Health was not oblivious to this new development, and in 1870 it charged Richard Wally with obstructing the Queen's Highway by placing a stall selling fruit and vegetables in front of his high street shop. The case was heard in the quarter sessions of Wakefield, with many witnesses who gave contradictory evidence upon whether stalls could or could not be erected on non-market days. The Board of Health lost its case, primarily because it could not prove there had been an obstruction rather than a legal verdict on Wally's right to set up stall in the first place. The board was chastened by this experience. When in 1875 there were complaints that the Thanet Arms landlord Joseph Robinson kept 17 carts and wagons stationed on the sets each night, the board simply wrote to him asking to leave a space so people could get past. The first attempts to move the cattle fair off the high street came in 1875, when a meeting of cattle dealers and drovers met in the Black Horse and voted by a large margin to look at providing another venue for a Skipton cattle market. The Craven Herald predicted, however, that some shopkeepers and traders would be resolutely opposed to any loss of the cattle market because of the trade it brought. And further objections did come from the ratepayers, not because of any love for the cattle market, because of their fear that they would end up footing the bill to move it. The Skipton Board of Health was at that time building a new water reservoir, sewage works and burial ground, and many people fe felt it was already pressing too hard on the purses of the locals. The outcome was the announcement from the board that local ratepayers would not fund a new market site, although the board would support any local company doing so. The board was acutely aware of the problem. How could it not be when its medical officer of health, in his annual report each year, made it his primary recommendation for the improvement of the health of the town? London too was putting on the pressure. In 1886, two government inspectors arrived unannounced and made their feelings known in a letter to the board saying they found the accumulation of decaying animal droppings in the gaps between the high street sets highly offensive. The board meeting had some half-hearted discussions on replacing the sets with paving, but again allowed the moment to pass. Although they were by now acutely aware that at any moment they could be ordered to take action. Victorian photographs of the high street captured the throng of cattle and their traders, but do not convey the filth and the stench which, by the dawn of the 20th century, was causing increasing irritation to the resident population.
the livestock market also offended the townsfolk in other ways. Rough Irish and Scots cattle traders and their fruity language were a frequent source of complaint, as was the way they treated the animals. Several commentators were shocked at the way the animals were beaten with sticks. One enterprising Skiptonian hit back. There was also an annual horse fair in the town, and when this gentleman's wife was knocked down by a horse-driven trap, whose owner was showing off the horse's paces, he took the matter to court. Thomas Carter, a rope maker of High Street Skipton, wanted £50 from a Burnley butcher called Richard Fawcett for the injuries suffered by his wife whose arm and ribs were broken in the accident. Several witnesses said the horse had been going at about 10 miles per hour, although Fawcett denied this and claimed that Mrs Carter had not heeded his shouts of warning. Not surprising, as it emerged in court that the poor woman was stone deaf. The judge ordered the butcher to pay £40 compensation. The next attempt to remove the livestock came in 1886. This time a meeting was called by landowners, farmers, tradesmen and others and they met at a crowded assembly room in the Black Horse on October the 25th under the chairmanship of a Captain Henderson, a local magistrate. He said that it was clear that the market would have to move at some time which was more likely to be sooner than later. John Bonnie Dewhurst was at the meeting and he helpfully explained that charging per head on animal sales, based on typical throughput, a cattle market could raise £7,000 200 annually and cost £7,000. But would the people of Skipton wish to pay for such a market out of the rates? The outcome of the meeting was another classic Skipton committee to look into the problem. This committee identified three sites for a possible new cattle market. Land alongside the railway station, roughly the area covered by the Sandylands Industrial Estate today, New Market Street and Spring Gardens off Otley Road. For many, the New Market Street site was the preferred choice, but it is unclear where exactly the committee had in mind. It was said to be more than half a mile out of town, which suggests a site up Shortbank Road. And there were hopes that new sidings could be constructed by the Midland Railway Company to avoid driving cattle through the town from the railway station. When the committee reported back on November 22nd, 1886, a letter was read out from the Midlands General Manager, John Noble, who expressly ruled out the possibility of new sidings being constructed. The railway company's preferred site was land by the railway station, where the road bridge over Broughton Road was then under construction. The adoption of that site will involve no additional expense on the part of the Midland Railway Company, and it is in every way the most convenient for dealing with cattle, said Mr Noble. The next step was to negotiate with the Board of Health over the tricky question of who would take responsibility for paying for the construction of a new market. The dealers wanted the local Board of Health to do so, 
the board was wary of committing yet more public funds and thought it would not be popular. Accordingly, after meeting a deputation from the dealers, the board resolved to formulate a proposal to put before the ratepayers. At this point, it is worth pointing out that the discussions not once mentioned a private livestock auction mart which had just started running in tandem with the on-street trade. The Skipton Auction Mart Company had been founded in 1886 as a private concern by John Throop, landlord of the Black Horse, who had a sideline as a timber merchant, and local auctioneer William Davis. They immediately set about finding a new place to hold their sales and constructed a purpose-built auction house in a field adjoining Skipton Railway Station. It was 105 feet by 60 feet with an M-shaped roof, a ring at one end, and inside stalls to accommodate 90 cattle and outside pens for 300 sheep. So a fairly small-scale affair. The difference between the two was that this new auction company sold livestock by auction. The Cattle Mart Company, on the high street, conducted all sales by private agreement between viewers and dealers. The auction mart was held fortnightly at first, but within weeks was being run on a weekly basis. In 1893, Throop and Davis's company became a limited company, the forerunner of today's Craven Auction Mart Company. While this site was clearly too small to cope with the thousand-plus beasts traded on the streets, the possibility of expanding the site was never raised during the negotiations of 1886 onwards. We'll look later at how the two were to merge. Also happening at this time was another market established in 1894, which is worth mentioning in passing. This sold butter and dairy products as poultry. It was the initiative of the Craven Agricultural Society. That's the body that founded the Craven Agricultural Show. Several of the members of the society guaranteed against any losses and the local Board of Health was persuaded to give it their blessing. The new drill hall in Otley Street, with its wide open spaces for volunteers to practice their drill, proved to be the most attractive site for this new market. It was called the Butter Market. And it opened in May 1894, with considerable fanfare. A stream of carts and pedestrians made their way to the drill hall. After an opening ceremony carried out by Sir Matthew Wilson, who had emerged was one of the chief financial backers, his wife sold the first lot of butter direct from their Eshton Hall estate, at what the Herald called the somewhat fancy price of one shilling and threepence per pound. In total, almost £700 of butter were sold at prices between 11 pence a pound 
and the £15 a pound someone had diplomatically paid for Lady Wilson's produce. The butter mark was even appreciated by the town's grocers. They were able to buy the amount they required each week, rather than having to take bulkier orders, which might have to be sold off cheaply as it went off. The following week, the price was between 10 and 11 pence for a pound of butter, and eggs were sold for 14 or 15 for a shilling. It, it seems that eggs were sold by price, so many for a shilling, rather than by the dozen. Alas, the butter market's novelty quickly wore off. Soon, W. Maud, a farmer from Rilston, was making a public appeal to support the butter market. The amount sold had plunged from £700 in the first few weeks to just £130 six months later. The demands upon farmers at Haytime may have been to blame, but he reminded them that they would generally attract better prices at the Skipton Book Butter Market rather than trying to find their own customers. Less than a year after it had opened, the Butter Market had run up a deficit of £40. The drill hall was proving too big, and it moved its operations in January to a room in the new Mechanics Institute building now Craven College. Almost immediately, one of the harshest winters for many years arrived. The Craven Agricultural Society declared the butter market dead at its meeting in April, leaving the guarantors out of pocket. So just let's sum up where we are in the 1890s. We've seen how a dairy market has gone bust, Shopkeepers were setting up their stalls out on the sets in front of their shops any day they liked. Hundreds of cows and sheep were being sold on the sets every Monday. And an auction mart had been established, small scale at first, on Broughton Road. In our next episode, we'll look how we got from there to the Skipton Market of today. Thank you for listening. Lucky Landslots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.